uh, to the Indopolis and others, Father, who have uh, various challenges at home with their kiddos. Uh, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Uh, one of the things that, uh, that we have been talking about is, um, is how do we do that as a church family? Uh, you know, there's so many needs and so many things that we can call to. And if we think about us as a family, we are a family. And um, we rejoice with those who rejoice, uh, as we did today with Elsie uh, and uh, Emily rejoicing in, in a new marriage, as we did with uh, Adam and Ellen rejoicing in new Hollis joy. Uh, and we also weep with those who weep and, and bear burdens with each other. Uh, and if we are going to be a, uh, a family, those, this is one of the burdens that we have to bear. How do we uh, love well uh, in, this, in this matter? How do we sacrifice and we lay things down to better care for all the members of, of our church family, especially those who may need uh, special care when they're with us? So uh, if you have your copy of God's Word, please turn to 1 Samuel, First uh, Samuel chapter 8. Uh, and as you, uh, as you turn there, I did want to... Uh, just to let you know, uh, just a bit of news uh, that we'll talk about this, uh, Lord willing, uh, next week at our members meeting uh, at 5 p.m. Uh, is that um, I ask you to pray uh, for uh, Sylvia Circle uh, Baptist Church. Uh, they, were gave a, they were given a recommendation to, to, to take their property and uh, entrust it to another local church in town, being uh, Park Baptist Church. And uh, that congregation voted yes. Uh, so we'll be talking about some of those details. But that, that church has agreed to... Uh, transfer their property, their assets to our church and help. And we would start a new congregation um, uh, in their in their facilities uh, in the coming months. So if you want to learn more about that, I would recommend you being here at the new members meeting at the members meeting uh, on uh, next Sunday evening at five. So I'm going to read uh, the first few verses and pray, center ourselves, and then we'll dig into the word together. First Samuel, chapter eight, verse one. When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn son was Joel, and the name of his second, Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. Yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now... Appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. Father, as we come into this text this evening, we pray, God, that your grace would be upon us. Father, you have done so much in our body already. God, things that we don't even know, the things that, have communic- that you've communicated from, um, uh, to us through your word, through song, through prayer, through encouragement, uh, through fellowship here today. God, I pray that as this word goes forth, that you would just uh, help us see that you are our king. Help us not want to be like the nations, but God, help us uh, hold fast to Christ and have him and have all our allegiance given solely to him. Bless us now as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you remember our our text last week, um, we, we finish chapter 6 and 7, and Samuel kind of steps up the plate and begins to, to judge uh, Israel. And we looked at how Samuel was a man of prayer. Samuel cared for Israel. Uh, Samuel gave himself to, to shepherding, not only judging not only in his own home, hometown, but he went at the, at the end, he went to several different places. He, he went to, to Bethel, he went to Gilgah, and he went to Mizpah. And one of the things that you see often 
uh, sadly, uh, of those who have a large influence in uh, spiritual ministry. Uh, at this point, Samuel is, is a believer in Christ and a believer in, 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 the, in, the, in the Christ and the Messiah that is to come. But what you see so often is, um, although they may be uh, very successful publicly, uh, where it mattered most, he was not successful in his own home. Look at Samuel chapter 8, verse 1. When Samuel became old. Uh, can we just stop here for a second and realize that we're all going to become old? Um, uh, one of the, a couple months ago, I read an article. This is a headline of an article. I'm sure I've said it before. And uh, it said, there was a feeling uh, that I had, an emotion that I had when I dropped my daughter off at college that I was not expecting. Regret. Uh, this idea that our kids are going to one day be out from under us and we're not going to uh, be around them. And, and what are we going to, to do? Did we raise them well? And all these questions we have in our minds of, of the times that we spent with them. Did we do enough uh, Bible study? Did we, not, did we pray for them enough? And all these different kind of questions. I think the reality is that to remind our, ourselves is that we are going to get old. We are going to age. And, and, and the youth that we once had is going to be gone. Uh, I was talking to, to my own father this um, uh, yesterday, and he just says, you know, it's, it's, I was encouraging him, I can't wait to let you be here, that we can care for you, right? And that my, my children can care for you. And he says, yeah, that's hard. That's hard to realize you can't do what you once did. And he says, I just, where did the last 40 years go? It goes by in a flash. And I think that that helps us. Uh, Moses says that in, Samuel, in, in, in uh, Psalm 90. He says, teach us to number our days that we may have a heart of wisdom. When we realize that we are going to get old, it changes how we live the here and now. Uh, we want to talk to our elders and think about their lives and the, the, the things that they did well, that they, they rejoiced in, but the mistakes that they made so that we will not repeat them. Because as Eli got old, so did Samuel. We can't avoid age. When Samuel became old, it says that he made his sons judges over Israel. Uh, what you see this transition from this chapter from judging, judgeship, to kingship. This is the, a, a turning point in Israel's history. Historically, judges were not hereditary. So a judgeship was not passed on to, to sons. It was, it was offered to, to Gideon, and Gideon did not think it was a good idea then. Uh, but this is exactly what Samuel did. Samuel made his sons judges over Israel. And we saw that one of the problems in Eli's life, uh, the one who really helped raise Samuel, is that he loved his children more than the Lord. Uh, we see this as a, as a theme. And he made, his, he made his sons judges over Israel. And it gives them his, his names here. And they were judges at Beersheba. And then verse 3, it says, Yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. Now, we don't know the kind of father Samuel was. There's not a lot in the scripture that says this is what Samuel did well as a, as a dad. This is what Samuel did poorly uh, as a father. And if you notice right there in verse 3, it says, Yet his sons did not walk in his ways, meaning Samuel's ways or, or the Lord's ways. His sons did not live a life according to the scriptures. They turned aside, and what did they turn aside for? They turned aside for gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. Uh, so his children, 
Now, we don't know this happened beforehand or, or after. Like if they had this leaning before that Samuel and uh, his, his... So Samuel made his sons judges. We don't know if Samuel could have looked and saw his children and said, Okay, I know my children. I know my kids have a, have a bent for greed. Therefore, they should not be judges. And he just ignored it. Or he could have just been blindsided. I raised them well. They were fine. Then all of a sudden, they're judges... And now they have the opportunity to make gain by taking bribes, and they just did it. We don't exactly know. But either way, Samuel's sons, like Eli's sons, were not good judges. They cared more about money than truth. And when this happens, and this is rebuked numerous places throughout the law, uh, many times in Deuteronomy, uh, but so you see this, and what the people of God are seeing this, and they're seeing that these judges, the system of judges is just not working. We see that Eli and his sons were, were wicked and perverted justice, and now we see uh, Samuel's sons doing the same thing. And Samuel is just an anomaly. Uh, but these sons, if they're allowed to rule in this way, is going to bring destruction upon Israel. So in verse 4, it says, Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. So basically, Samuel, you're about gone. You're not going to be able to make an impact like you once did. You're passing the mantle to your sons, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Your sons can't lead. Your sons can't judge. You know, it's, you know I'm, I'm a father of three, and I have no idea what's going to happen to my children. We never do, do we? Right? We can't see the future. We don't know. Uh, if the Lord wills it, I pray my children would grow up to love and serve the Lord right? with all their mind, soul, heart, and strength. Uh, that they would, have, uh, they would marry a Christian spouse and they would raise uh, their children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Uh, but there's a lot of Christian parents who thought that that was going to happen to their kids, and it didn't. You know, we don't know what the future holds. And these elders looked at Samuel and said, Hey, Samuel, regardless of how you raised your children. They're not walking in your ways. We need another plan. You're old and you're about to be off the scene and what's going to happen. So they come up with an idea. Now appoint for us a king. So they, they, we don't want judges. We want a king. Why? Here's the key. To judge us or to govern. The, ju the word judge there in the Hebrew could be also converted as, as to govern. To judge us like all the nations you'll see how profoundly bad of an idea this is and how much of a slight it was to the Lord. We do not want to be the treasured possession of the Lord. We don't want to be unique and set apart. We want to be like the nations. Therefore, give us a king. Now remember, you see this interaction the last several chapters between the lords of the Philistines and, and Moab. And they had these, these folks who were going to protect them and, and lead and fight their battles. And the people of Israel were just shown that it is the Lord who fights their battles. It is the Lord who wants, who, who, even with the Ark of the Covenant, going into uh, Philistia and seeing how the, the Ark of the Covenant still brought victory, even without the people of Israel with them. And yet... These people wanted a king so that they could be like these nations. 
And Samuel, as we've seen often in Samuel's life, he prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people. In all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done from the day I brought them out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they also are doing to you. Now then, obey their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall rule, who shall reign over them. Uh, so we, we know that in the New Testament, the Lord Jesus says, uh, the world has hated me. Therefore, the world will hate you. And too often as Christians, we want the world's praise. We want the world's applause. Now, this is one of the, the things that I think is happening in Christianity today is that evangelical pockets are trying to win the appraise and the approval of the world in their minds to, to gain more influence in their, um, in their ministries. That's not the way the Lord works. The Lord says you serve him, and if you serve the Lord, the world is going to hate you because it hated him. So what, what, what God is saying to Samuel is, is these people are rejecting you as their judge but they're not really rejecting only you. They're really just rejecting me. You are in good company, Samuel. They rejected me from being king over them. From the, the calling of Abram, the Lord has been their king. The Lord has been their protector. The Lord has been their, their warrior fighting their battles. And even, even what it says here, according to all the deeds that I, they have done from the day I brought them out of Egypt, to even to this day. I am the one, I am the one, the Lord says, who brought them out of Egypt. I'm the one who, who parted the Red Sea. I'm the one who, who brought the plagues. I'm the one who had the, the walls of the Red Sea fall upon the Egyptians. I am the Lord. I'm the one who fought, fought their battles. I'm the king. I've done this for them. And yet what have they done? They have forsaken me and served other gods. So they're also doing the same to you. This is the, the challenge of worldliness. You know, we're going to talk about worldliness a little bit in James. Chapter 4 talks about being a friend to the world and loving the world. Uh, we see in, in the life of the church kind of this odd statement of Demas. At the end of one of Paul's letters, it talks about Demas as, as a minister of the gospel. And in another letter, it says that Demas, in love with the world, deserted me, walked away. There's a clear calling for all of us. Are we going to stick with the Lord or are we going to be like the nations? You know, the, 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 the streams that we swim in are worldly streams. Right? This is the idea of the tongue. The tongue this morning, it's a world of unrighteousness. The tongue shows all the, the sins of fallen humanity. It shows all the, the thefts and the lies and the, and the adultery and the murder. It shows itself in its speech, just in seed form and what we, what we do. Here, what we see is this, this, this world is against the Lord. And yet the people of God don't want to be 
distinct from the world, what are they saying? They're cuddling up with the world. Um, if you were going to have a pet, I would not recommend a baby tiger. Okay? Because when you get a baby tiger, what's going to happen to that baby tiger? It's become a big tiger. And it's going to eat you. Right? And that's really what happens with, with a lot of Christians with the world. A lot of Christians start to, to take tigers into their, into their life and just kind of stroke it. Right? This coddle the worldliness. Whether that's the, the shows that you watch on Netflix, the music that you listen to, the, the activities that you uh, partake in. Really what you're doing is you're just cuddling up with the world. You're making your heart want to be like the world, to love the things of the world, and then what's going to happen is that destruction is going to come upon you suddenly. We've seen that time and time again throughout the Scriptures. And that's what the Lord says here. These people are serving other gods. But the Lord said, listen, give them one more chance. Obey them. Give them what they want. We see this in Romans chapter 1, is that when we deny the Lord, when we reject the Lord, when we, we say no to the Lord enough, what happens is, is that we... Um, we choose to, the Lord chooses to give us over to that sin. And says, okay, if you don't want me in your life, go live your life without me and see what happens. This is exactly what the Lord's doing here. If, if they don't want me as their king, fine. Let's just see if their life is going to be any better off. But before they do that, warn them. Warn them of what is going to happen. Friends, I think this is one of the, the tools for us in evangelism. If you're sharing the gospel with someone who wants to live in the world, if you have a friend who says they're a believer and, and starts to love the world, the things of the world, drink and sex and, and those, those types of things, when that kind of thing happens, what you, what you must do is uh, warn them. If you go this way, this is going to happen. Warn them so that they don't go this way. And if they end up that way, that they, they would come to their senses like the, the prodigal son in Luke 15, verse 10. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. He said, these will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. Now remember, they're wanting a king to be like the nations. And really what they're saying is, I want security. I want to know who's going to fight our battles, who's going to protect me, who's going to keep me safe. You know, what we see a lot in politics in America is the same thing. Who's going to be the strong commander-in-chief? Who's going to make sure I keep my Social Security? Who's going to make sure that my ideals are going to be fought for? It's, it, it, there's a very self-focus here. These will be the ways of the king who will reign over you, Samuel says. And just listen to this list. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. He will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest, to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will Take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will take 
the tenth of your grain and your vineyards and give it to his officers and to his servants. He will take your male servants and female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. He will take the tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. And in that day you will cry out because of your king whom you have chosen for yourself. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. Now remember that Hebrew uh, has a very strong auditory punch to it. Uh, so remember that the culture would have not had their own copy of God's word. So they would have heard it like I tried to read it. Take, 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 take. That would have just popped in their hearing, right? Because they were hearing, right? They were, they were listening to it auditorily, right? He would, they, they would, he would take these things from you. And that's exactly what an earthly king does. An earthly, worldly king takes from his people for himself and for his, his influence and for his own glory. Now, what, what has the Lord done? Give. 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 Don't you love Romans 8, 32? Um, someone quoted for me because it just left my brain. Kidding. Eight, eight, uh, Romans 8, 32 uh, he did not spare his own son, but gave him to us freely. How will he not also through him give us all things? God is a giving God. He, he, he gave not only us uh, this world, and this beauty and friendship, and, but he gave us himself. God gave us himself. And all we bring to the table in our relationship with God is our sin, our junk. And God takes it. God takes all our sin and he gives us his glory. We were separated from his glory. He says, no, I want to give it back to you through my son. I'll take all your junk. I'll take all your sin. I'll take all your wrath and all your condemnation and all your shame and all your guilt and all your regret. And I will give you life and life abundantly. What the world, will, the worldly king, it will just take. Now just think about the worldly king as kind of an extension of just the world itself. The worldly system that stands against God. If you choose to choose the world over God, it will just take from you. It will take your youth. It will take your innocence. It will take your purity. It will take your money. It will take your health. It will take your relationships. It will take, take, take. And if that's what you want, go after it. But you have the, the glory of God, the one who redeemed you from Slavery, the one who freed you from the, the, the pressing oppression of the Egyptians, or you could go after the world and become a slave. Romans chapter 6, the Apostle Paul um, uses this language. So in Romans chapter 6, he says, What then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that he, that you who were once slaves to sin, 
have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which we have committed. And having been set free from sin, having become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you were once presented your members as slaves to impurity, to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness. So now present your members as slaves to righteousness, which leads to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at the times of the things that you did if you were now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit that you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul's saying, listen, if you choose to sin, if you choose pornography, if you choose greed, if you choose lust, if you choose worldliness, it will lead to death and you becoming a slave. But if you become a slave to God, He will give you holiness, Christ-likeness, and eternal life. God gives, 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 and gives. This world just takes and takes and takes. This is what Samuel was trying to get to the people. Trying to see the reality of, of choosing life or death. Beloved, I'm not sure if you know this, but every time you wake up, there is a battle for life and death. This world is trying to lure you, to entice you, to choose death. But as we do in our, our culture, we, we try to make death not seem so bad. So when you go to a funeral, the, 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 the corpse is, is, tries to make it look alive with makeup and oils. Uh, they, they try to, to call it a celebration of life, to, 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 to cloud over the fact that death is final. It's what our world wants to feel, that, that death is, there's some dignity in it. But beloved, death is a reminder that there is sin in this world and that we need a Savior. Samuel was faithful to the Lord and he shared the Lord's words. But, verse 19, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. Now, rem just remember, y'all, who are these people? They are the people of God. The people of God are not listening to the voice of God. And he said, and they said, no, but they're shall be a king over us, that we also may be like all the nations, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. Beloved, if you have read the, the Old Testament up until this point, that is a description of the Lord. The Lord is the one who judged them. The Lord is the one who went before them. And the Lord is the one who fought their battles. And these People were blind. They did not see the grace of God. And when Samuel had heard all the words of the people, he repeated them to the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, 
obey their voice and make them a king. Samuel then said to the men of Israel, go every man to his city. Now what you see, this is now a break in Israel's history. The Lord is is no longer honored as king in in the land of Israel. Uh, We move from from judges kind of doing the will of the Lord to to an era of, of kingship. And we'll see how this, how this kingship is developed from Saul then to, to David. And really at the, the core of, of, of all the Bible is, is all, we were always going towards a king. You know, I was, I was talking to an atheist a few years back, and, and I just uh, was talking to him about government. And he, was, he just said, you know, what do you think is the, is the best form of government? And this man said, uh, a benevolent king or a benevolent dictator, Right? A good king ruling his people. And I said, you're right. The Bible speaks that way. But we have a good king ruling everything. And beloved, that is the promise of eternity. Right? When the king of kings and the Lord of lords shall descend at that trump sound. And he will usher in an era of peace. An era of joy. When the king of kings will be our God. And we will be his people. The challenge for us is we want to live as if that reality there is a reality for us here. He is our king. He is the one who goes out before us. He is the one who judges us. And beloved, he is the one who will fight your battles. Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus. We thank you that the Lord Jesus is our is our true king. That this era of uh, air and sin of the people. God, you redeemed it uh, by helping us press on towards a forever king to sit on a forever throne. God, we pray that we would not be like the Israelites here to coddle and love the world, to be like the nations, but God, that we would be the true people of God and that we would be ready to bow to Jesus now and for forevermore. We ask this in the power of the Spirit for the glory of the King of Kings, our Savior Jesus.